Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. So if you're an organizational leader tuning in for the first time, welcome to the Kelly family. And just let everyone know, we are in the middle of a very special four-part series all around the idea of coaching and how do you coach, how do you mentor, more so how do you lead as a manager, as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, what does that leadership look like? Last week, we covered the idea of the coach as an individual. How do you as a leader work on yourself as a coach so that way you can get ready to be able to be a mentor, to be a coach, to lead your team and expect change within them. So if you haven't Go back, listen in last week's episode because each one of these episodes are going to build upon the other. So it's very important to go back and listen to each episode in in order. But before we get to that, I just want to make a really awesome announcement. We are going to do a live webinar. April 15th at 4 p.m. Be sure to check out the Kelly social media for uh, any updates and all the links that you need uh, for this special episode. Here, you'll have an opportunity to submit your questions live to our guests, Ray Luther and Eric Johnson, and where we can answer your questions in real time. Anything that you're wrestling with as an organizational leader, anything that you want to work on in the coaching sphere, it doesn't even have to be specifically to coaching. It could be leadership in general. This is going to be the place for you to come in and ask those tough questions you're wrestling with. In the meantime, if you can't make that date or you just want to get uh, you know, ahead of the game, send us your questions to us here at the show at ROIPod. That's R-O-I-P-O-D at I-E-P-U-I.edu. Again, April 15th, 4 p.m. Check our social media handles to get all the details. So last week, we talked about the idea of the coach and it's all about the individual and, and growing. And, and Ray, you know, set the stage for this episode, the idea of the coachy and the focus of how we're going to approach uh, this topic. Sure. I'd love to, Matt. When we think about the coaching ecosystem, right, there's four components. That's going to be the parts of the series. The coach we talked about last week. Coachy is this week, right? So the other person in the relationship, which we'll talk about in the third episode, because that is a separate entity from the coach and the coachy. And then finally, we're going to talk about a coaching process. And so as we think about the coachy, the way I think about it is the person being served by the work. Okay, I as a coach am going to to engage in the work. If it's a manager employee relationship, then obviously there's a there's a lot of different dynamics of this relationship that I keep in mind. But the coachee is the one being served by the work. That doesn't mean that they don't do work. And I think that's one of the misperceptions. As we coach somebody, there's a lot of work that they need to do. But somebody that when I think about the concept of servant leadership, meeting somebody where they are, challenging them to do their best, you know, working in a way that's going to enable their growth and development to their highest potential, et cetera. All these things rooted in transformational leadership philosophy, servant leadership philosophy from Greenleaf, very good, solid leadership ground that all of the leadership gurus talk about, whether they're academic or practitioner. And so the coachee is somebody that I need to be very cognizant of in this process because ultimately their desire, their willingness, their trust in me as a coach, all of those things come into play as we think about what's there. And I think we as coaches or we as managers, if we're a manager coach, 
need to be very aware of how do we introduce them to this concept? How do we make sure that they're, we're meeting them where they are? How do we do things that are enabling them, not, not necessarily just scaring them or in their face? And how do we actually come to accept that some people might not want to be coached? And that can be one of the hardest things as a coach to accept is when you have somebody that is, is unwilling to move because it takes two in the relationship to make it work. And you might have to say coaching is not going to be effective as a methodology to help this person grow. Therefore, I'm going to back off. And that can feel, I tell you as a coach, it can feel devastating. So that's what I think about it when I coach who's being served ultimately, where are they now? Where do they want to go? And how can I help them get there through a relationship built upon trust and competence? So obviously through the scope of, you know, seeing a manager and employee, you, you have varying uh, groups of people who, you know, some who are very hungry to grow, very hungry to uh, want to be mentored and want that relationship. And you have all the way to the other side of the spectrum. We want people just to be, you know, left alone. And so those are two, you know, and everything in between. So let's start with, you know, those who are hungry to grow, those who are invested into the organization, and those who are really wanting to not only um, grow themselves in their own leadership, but they do believe in the organization. You know, how do you leverage uh, that to begin to um, both get your organization growing and at the same time, how do you begin to push them to be the greatest leader that they can be? The, the training that I went through, and, and I know Ray went through something that had very similar philosophies, um, kind of begins with an assumption, right? And the assumption that we make in coaching is that the person that we're leading is what we call creative, resourceful, and whole. Um, what creative means is that they have the ability to bring solutions to the table, right? They can think outside the box. They are knowledgeable enough of their of their role and their responsibilities, um, but they can tap into their, their sort of best inner self in order to help the organization advance on the problem that they're working on. Um, resourceful, I mean, it includes a lot of those kind of same things, um, but you can think of it as like, you know, this is someone who knows how to get the best out of themselves. They know how to get the best out of the people around them. They know how to operate with the budget and with the tools and things that they've been given. They know how to communicate effectively. And then whole largely means they want bringing the appropriate mindset to the table, um, a growth mindset, uh, a willingness to partner mindset um, that they are, they are, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, I mean, they're emotionally, physically, mentally there for the betterment of themselves, the organization and the mission as a whole. And I think what's really important as a leader is to understand those, like, what is it about each of my people that makes them creative? What is it about each of my people that makes them resourceful? Um, and this doesn't always have to be formal assessments, but I know Ray and I tend to use assessments, whether it's personality type, DISC, um, could be um, emotional intelligence assessments, things like that. But there are a variety of different ways, even just open conversations, understanding someone's background, understanding somebody's priorities, understanding someone's values, like have those kinds of conversations, not just when you begin the relationship with an employee, but over time as these things evolve so that you can continue to understand the foundation that feeds their creativity, their resourcefulness and their wholeness. Um, that happens formally, it happens informally, um, but it's a really important part of understanding not just the person you're leading, 
but all the people you're leading and how they work together to create a, a, a whole team, right? Almost like puzzle pieces coming together. And that's always where I start, right? Is there the nature by which they are creative, resourceful, and whole? I, I think Eric uh, threw out a key word that I would build off of, which is what, what are the assumptions I hold? Like, I assume that these people are creative, resourceful, and whole. And then I start to collect data as an organizational leader on my team of not only do, where do I assume that they are, okay, I don't have any reason or observation to assume otherwise, but also what's a relative level of competence. And I'm, I'm going to use a metaphor. I used to lift weights a long time in high school competitively. And when you can use a running metaphor or whatever, if I have somebody who really, really, really wants to bench press 300 pounds yet on an, as any sort of assessment, I look at it and say, they can only bench press hundred right now. I have to be willing to meet that person where they are today, right? It doesn't do me any good to create a development plan that is different than what they can handle. It doesn't do me any good to create a development plan based upon them saying they want to bench press 300 pounds if they can't get, you know, a hundred off their chest. So I have to also provide some kind of, of my own judgment on where are they in their name, the development scale, their adult development, right? How they make sense of the world, their skills and capability development, what they can do or can't do their emotional intelligence development, right? Where, how, how are they with other people and with themselves and recognizing those things. And so as a, as a leader in an organization, if I have a team, I think I would say, is the assumption that most people are creative, resourceful, and whole true? If somebody has a certain situation where they're going through a personal situation, maybe the coaching's not right for them right now, or maybe there's something else that might be more urgent for them to deal with in the moment. And then as I look at that, well, what would I look at from a development standpoint with each individual? If I have a new hire who really needs to be trained in skills and get some of these processes down and is just young and immature in the organizational sense, well, that's going to be different than a 20-year long-term employee who's on his seventh rotation and understands how the mechanics of the organization work, right? And so meeting the person where they are, assuming that they're creative, resourceful, and whole until they show me otherwise, right? And, and working with them in a way that assumes they want to grow, that assumes they want to get the best out of them is a great starting point, at least as somebody who wants to be a, use coaching to help grow their team. I'll put it that way. And that brings, you know, the next big thing I think is feedback, you know, that, that communication stream between, you know, someone who is working on feedback and having to have sometimes tough conversations because in the, in like last episode, you know, when you're open to seeing how your team sees you, you know, in the same time, you know, it's up to the coach and, and manager to, you know, give give feedback. Hey, you know, this project was great, but you know, we could do it this better this way, or, Hey, you, you really missed the mark on this. You know, how do we, you know, change that? You know, what does that feedback process look like? Because there's, you know, leaders who are very direct and blunt and just have like no feeling into it and just kind of lay it as it is. And then there's leaders who kind of do what this, like the sandwich thing where they give, Hey, you did this really good. Here's something negative, but let me, let me kind of finish it off with positive. Cause I don't want you feeling bad leaving my office, you know? So what does good feedback look like? And how does that relationship, you know, begin to develop? Well, Matt, like, uh, <laughs> uh, like any great business school answer, it, it depends. <laughs> um, here's the, you know, Ray and I spend, uh, we could spend hours on this topic alone. Um, in, in its simplest terms, I'll start by saying 
you know, feedback tends to have a bit of a negative connotation because we tend to lean into the things that people need to work on. So I'll begin by saying, I think great feedback or a person who does a great job of giving feedback recognizes what's going well, while also recognizing the opportunities to grow and develop. So we'll begin there. But I think the second thing, and this goes right to the heart of where we started with this, Matt, is feedback really isn't about the boss. It's not about the leader. Because as the leader, you are responsible for what you say. But you also have a responsibility for what they hear and how they make sense of it. And because this episode is on the client, this question is brilliant because as the leader, you have to understand that each of your people want and need to receive feedback in different ways. And it is your responsibility as a leader to not just determine that, but also to adjust your style in order to deliver feedback in ways that make sense to each of them. You're right. There are some people who appreciate the sandwich method, right? And, and there's, whether you believe in personality theory or not, that's one foundation to do it. We would call those people idealists, right? Um, and where they really need to hear the good every time they hear the bad. And they also need to hear then something good when the conversation is over. Ray is of a personality type that can be very direct. You can tell Ray, he was what we would call a rational, Ray, this is exactly what you did well, or Ray, this is exactly what you need to do. No sugarcoating, and he's good with it. I'm of a type that we would typically call an artisan. And what that means is you got to catch me in the act, like, because I'll make sense of feedback however I need to in order to make it make me sound good. Um, and so it's, it's very much about like in the moment as it's being observed, saying this, that thing you're doing right now, that's great. Or this, that thing you're doing right now, that's what you need to work on. And then there's a type we call guardians, which are very much about, um, you know, the facts and the evidence and the specifics and a balance of good and bad and a balance of how everybody receives feedback. Um, and I think as a leader, it's, it's important that you understand the process by which of your people like to give and receive feedback and you adjust accordingly so that, so that you not just you're building trust and you're building intimacy like we talked about in the last episode, but so they are willing to act on it um, because I think that's, that's so critically important. Ray, I know you were jumping in on that one. I didn't mean to cut you off, but you no, you did. I was gonna, I was gonna say my favorite example of the sandwich method is is with Eric. Like, great hat. Hey, you were a little rude. Nice kicks, right? Like, that's just it's such a useless method most of the time. Although, you know, there are people that need to hear the good and the bad. Here's what I would say, Matt, as as you think about the coachee, that there's an old adage in coaching that we didn't talk about last episode, but is what's the work I want the question to do. So as I, and we'll talk about that in the coaching process, right? What's the work I want the question to do? And Eric nailed it. As a leader, what's the work I want this feedback to do, right? It's not just about the delivery of negative feedback. It's what's the work that I'm hoping that this, this information informs this person in a way that what changes behavior, makes them aware, right? Drives, drives cognizance, gets them to realize a blind spot. What's that work I needed to do? And if I can do that in a way that meets them where they are, right, that respects that person, because ultimately it's about the work and the reaction to the feedback, not the feedback, then I can help them become more self-aware. I, we're big fans of a book called Thanks for the Feedback from the Harvard Negotiation Project. Um, uh, Heed and Stone are the authors, and they have three trigger mechanisms. And I think this would be great for any coach to read because you can, you can build some self-awareness where these triggers, these feedback triggers are set off like the content of the feedback. I just fundamentally disagree with it, right? Or the relationship of the feedback. Like, how dare Eric say that about me? There's a there's a relationship issue. Or 
the the final one is identity. And I think those are great places to start. Like, what's the work I want this feedback to do? If I have feedback for Eric, I might need to think about like, okay, I need him to build awareness of this. And if I think about it, he might disagree with the content of this feedback. So I'm going to have to focus on, you know, just showing why this is how other people have this perception of this content right? The work I need him to appreciate and understand is this is the perception other people have of that, the way he's showing up, right? Whether that changes his behavior, I don't know, but I can make him aware of that. And I, I hope it has at least some sort of awareness building competence to something I know about, Eric, if I can catch him in the act, it does help him go, oh, that, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, that, that thing there. But if I, can, if I can stay focused on what's the work I want this feedback to do, it's going to make it a lot easier as a leader to start to think about this is about developing human capital, which is our role that delivers value. And if I can find a way to do this where it's not about me, I mean, this is my job to make sure this person's building awareness on how they're showing up, but it is about delivering the feedback in a way that does work for the person, then that's going to change the dynamics of how I think about that. You know, and I know there's a lot of organization leaders and even managers out there that are saying, you know, yeah, this is great. This sounds awesome and ideal. Yet they feel like majority of their role is always focusing on the negative behavior within their team. They're always addressing the bad. They're always saying, you know, we got to correct this. Yet, you know, the the people who are crushing it and doing good are almost getting neglected. Kind of the idea of, you know, the 20% of the workhorses on their team are doing 80% of the work, but yet they're always focusing their energy on the 80% of the stubborn mules on the back end to try to get them up to the pack. You know, so how do organizational leaders kind of flip that? You know, how do they, you know, kind of start saying, okay, look, you know, this can happen with the team I have right now. It's not all bad. You know, we don't have to fix all these little problems. Then we can start having good, you know, talk about that dynamic and what organizational leaders can do. Well, one is get off their rear and give more positive feedback. Right. Like the, if you look at the rate, you know, one of the complaints that's true in that ratio is, well, organizational leaders are waiting to till the quarterly review or the annual review to give feedback as opposed to making an ongoing practice. And a lot of the best organizations are starting to say, hey, this coaching methodology is about an ongoing practice and an ongoing conversation. So as things happen, I'm going to make sure that I'm reflecting the things that are very positive. Right. And it's not just, you know, hey, only bad deeds get punished. It's, it's something where I can I can do that. Teresa Mobley wrote about that in the progress principle, focusing on the small wins, celebrating success. I know that's a value of Eric's that he, he practices. When we think about that, make sure that you're delivering that so that your ratio gets right. Right. A positive to negative. And then also consider, again, what's the work you want that negative or constructive or developmental feedback to do for people who might be low performers? And how do you how do you take the ownership and responsibility for trying to get them on track or maybe exit them from the organization if they're not meeting the standard? Right. And oftentimes those those players get passed around more than good people going through the work of actually saying, hey, maybe it's just not a fit. Right. Maybe we need to exit this person from the organization. Could be plenty of good reasons. Plenty of good reasons. I know there's long HR processes. There's the PIP processes in most organizations. Performance improvement plans can very be very onerous. There's a lot of legality that you need to consider in terms of how this gets managed. But that's part of why you get paid the big bucks as a leader is to be able to manage that effectively. So I would say for the, the ratio, don't neglect the good side. Because that often is, is a more common issue. Like I find myself only talking about the negative. Yeah, because you're not 
paying attention to the positive, right? You're just assuming it's going to happen and you're taking it for granted. And then do the hard work that's required on those people where you might need to, you know, get them up to standard or make a different decision associated with what their role is in the organization. You know, and I know this could open a can of worms, this next question, and we could probably do a whole episode, if not a whole series on this next question. But I want to get, you know, just the, the, the baseline and kind of just start putting our toes in the water on different personalities within a team. I mean, every team's got, you know, personalities, you know, in every gradient and shape and size, you know, so what are some of the baseline um principles an organizational leader can kind of keep in mind uh, when it comes to managing, you know, introverts, extroverts, those who are very outspoken and those who are very quiet, you know, how does those dynamics play and what do organizational leaders at a high level need to kind of start thinking about when managing and when coaching people on their team? Well, I think um, to start with, I mean, what, what managers and leaders need to think about is the diversity by all definitions of the word, is what leads to exceptional performance over time. And so as a leader, I'm, I'm, it is my goal to hire a team of diverse ethnicity and race and gender and age, but also um, personality. And again, whether people buy into personality theory or not, there's no arguing that we're all different. Some people like to think as they speak. Some people like to think and then speak. Some people um, like to work with others as they're solving problems. Some like to work on their own and then bring their ideas to the group. And you as a leader, I think take a moment notice, do I have a team of a lot of people who not only look like me, but act like me and talk like me and think like me? Because I would argue that while you all might get along at the bar after work, you're not going to be a high performing team in all circumstances um, simply because you haven't built a group that's wired to think in all circumstances. You only think like you. So I think part of it is to notice some of that. The other is um, to create a space where folks can really be self-honest uh, and, and share that with the team so that you can begin to draw out some of the things that are a little harder to notice. You talk about extroversion and introversion, for instance. I think it's interesting when you ask leaders like, well, are your team extroverted or introverted? And we tend to say, well, they're very extroverted. But, but oftentimes it's what the organization is requiring of people is to speak in public or to speak in team meetings. That doesn't mean people are doing that because they enjoy it. They're doing it because they have to. Um, and, and in that regard, you can be creating a little bit of tension among your group. But one of the exercises that Ray came across a few years ago that we've integrated not only into um, our student populations and leadership development programs at Kelly, but we've used with other organizations is called the personal users manual. And then it's an exercise where as an individual, you go through and answer 10 questions. And the spirit of it is, if I was writing a manual on how to work with me and giving it to other people so that they could better understand me, what would I put down there? And some of the questions are, how do you like to give and receive feedback? How do you like to work through problems? How do you, um, uh, what are your, what are your greatest strengths? How can people earn a gold star with you? But it's not just doing it. It's the conversation that it leads to with your supervisor. And then what I've done with teams in the past is have my group share their answers with the group, not only to get some feedback, like is how I think I am, what other people really experience, 
but also to better explain why people behave the way they do in certain situations. And when you have that kind of open dialogue, it leads, I think, to more authenticity. But then as a coach, it allows me to better understand my people and better approach them in ways that create the positive impact. So those are just a few of the ways I would I would tackle that. You know, finally, as we get ready to, to wrap this episode up, you know, we have to address this. And I know it's not a fun topic, but at, at some point in the organization, we do get to a point where it's just not working out for a team member. You know, we coach them, we've put done everything we can. And just for, for whatever reason, it's just not, it's not a good fit. So a couple things, you know, when do we decide that it's kind of, you know, maybe this is the time where we've done everything. When do we decide where we're getting closer that when that time comes up and then how do we address that? You know, how do you have that tough conversation when, when it's, when it's just not a fit? Yeah, I'll, I'll kick it off. I'd be interested in Eric's thoughts as well. I would say there, there's two, two, two timelines I would worry about with that. One is as, as a leader who likes to coach, I would say there are people who, who don't really respond to the coaching method, don't want to be coached, aren't looking to grow, et cetera, in, in certain ways. And they want to be provided direction. They, they make sense of things in different ways. That's fine. I don't, I don't want to become judgmental about that, but I, I need to be aware of it. If somebody really just wants very specific direction, looks at, looks at their growth in a different way and, and doesn't respond. I don't, I don't need to keep trying the coaching methodology out and say, Oh, if it's just, if I ask better questions or if I just this, I might have that conversation with the person, you know, Hey Bob, it doesn't feel like really, you're into this. It feels like it's a bit more of a directive transactional relationship. Is that, is that the way you're seeing this as well? And, and maybe that provides a little bit of relief for the person because that's what they, that's what we're looking for out of employment. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're ready to separate from the organization. That just means that the coaching methodology might not work for everybody. And that's okay. I think to get to the heart of your question, when, when you do get to a performance issue and you've given feedback and it's not working, you know, I think it, it, it really does come down to what do you observe about yourself as a leader, you know, and, and how do you want to handle this situation and, and what values do you want to honor as you're going through this? Um, this can be a difficult situation for all sides involved for you as the leader that has to deliver the bad news for somebody who might not want to be at this point or make the same decision. It's very difficult, obviously for the person going through it and it can be difficult for the organization and the organizations take you know, extreme measures to protect themselves legally and from an HR perspective and all of that's required. And so once you go beyond the, the, the coaching try, I think the, the, the actual separation would be, do I have the competence to do that in a way that's consistent with my organization's values? And I'm, do I practice it in a way that's consistent with my own values? How do I want to treat the person? How does that person expect to be treated? How can I appreciate these are difficult conversations for everyone all around? And how can I do this in a way that still values the individual, recognizes that just because it didn't work here, it's, it's going to work for them somewhere else and, and leave it on a positive footing, I think would be great. Um, I had... I had a, an old colleague that we were doing a mass separation and he made this off the cuff comment in our leadership team meeting one time. He said, I do not want to become proficient at this. And I thought hard about that because I think his point was, you know, hey, I don't want to get make this a regular habit or practice that we're so good at it. We can do it all the time. And I think that's one side of the story. Like, yeah, you you want this to be hard because it shouldn't be an everyday event. But I think the danger in that perspective is this is a difficult time. It does take competence. It does take relying on people that have, have worked through it because of the emotions and the challenges involved. And so I actually do think 
it is something to develop some competence in, at least in a knowledge base, if you don't have the experience in doing it. And the, the, I agree with everything that Ray said. And the, the one addition I'll bring to this conversation is um, you're right, Matt, when you describe this as a bit of a spectrum, right? And I think, you know, Ray um, talked about, you know, once they get down to sort of that bottom and it's, it's time to begin to consider separation. A little earlier than that, there's also a point where as a leadership team and as an organization, we're beginning to have the conversation about whether or not an individual is a good fit for our culture or a good fit for their role. Um, and they might still be doing the job well, right? And, and, you know, you can be a solid individual contributor, you can be meeting expectations and your company can still be thinking, we don't know that this person has leadership potential. Um, and that's the beginning of sort of wondering whether or not this person even really needs to be here long-term. Um, and, and, you know, these aren't exactly the best coaching questions and we'll define a great coaching question when we talk about the coaching process. Um, but I, I had a supervisor who shared with me a few questions that she used in this moment where she would approach somebody who's just beginning to tip and say, you know, would you like to continue to have a blossoming career at this company? Right. And I think, you know, if you think about it, like the default answer is always, well, they're going to say yes, of course. but some people are like, not really. Like, I don't, you know, it's, it's interesting if you can get an honest answer for them, like like to go as firm. Um, and then how would you like me to help you with that? And I think that's really powerful because if you get somebody who says, well, yeah, of course I do. Well, how would you like me to help you with that? Well, I, I want you to you know, be honest with me and give me feedback. Okay. Well, this is a good moment for me to be honest that the vibe that you're giving off is that this isn't a great place for you, right? You're resistant when people give you feedback, you're resistant to coaching or, you know, you're not really taking advantage of the opportunities to grow. I'm noticing these things, right? I, I like the dialogue that that can open. Yes. It's a little bit veiled. Yes. They're a little loaded. I get it. But, but in moments where you've got someone at that tipping point, you know, you don't have a lot of margin left for subtlety, right? You use what you got and then you lean into the difficult conversation. Um, but I've, I've found value in those questions because, you know, it removes some of your own assumptions about how they're going to answer from the table. So something I put out there that, uh, that I've used that works for me that opens up a really productive dialogue with someone I'm leading. The great example of respecting where the other person is, right? And meeting them in a way that's, that's positive rather than negative right at the front of the start. All right, so as as we wrap up this second episode, how do we take what we learned from last week and this week or just this week and get ready to talk about the coaching relationship, which we'll cover next week? I think it's a great question, Matt. Well, you know, we now have a coach and we have a coachee within our construct, right? So the the next thing that happens is the relationship between them. And the simplest way to to bring this to life is if you think about your variety of friendships that any one of us has, we have different relationships that exist. Not every relationship between pairs of friends that we have looks exactly the same. And it's the same thing within a coaching dynamic. What is the quality of the relationship? What's the coach's role in building that relationship? What's the coachee's role in building that relationship? And how does the quality of that relationship, which again, it's, it's built upon a foundation, hopefully of trust and competence and mutual respect, but how does the, the quality of that relationship influence the amount of quality of coaching that can actually be done? Because without staying there, the relationship is separate from the coach. It's separate from the coachee. So it's its own independent thing. But without a high quality relationship, no coaching process is going to work very well. 
So we have to think about that construct in a way that says, what am I doing as a coach? What can I do with the coachee to build that? And, and how can, how can this come to life in a way that, that really does serve this client or coachee in a way that's going to help them develop where they need to be? Yeah. And the main thing I would add is over the course of the next week, you as a leader, just notice your own energy, right? I, I've, I've learned over many years that our energy is an unbelievable clue as to what's happening. You have people you lead. You feel different energy walking into each room, metaphorically, or hopping on Zoom, literally, with each person. And it's probably worth beginning to ask yourself, like, what's going on here? Why is my conversation with Matt always feel different to me than my conversation with Ray? Why do I have anticipation with some and trepidation with others in the two minutes leading up to that conversation? You don't have to have the answers to those things now, but if you can do the work of noticing the changes in energy, you can better understand what Ray's bringing to life around the quality of the relationship. And it'll make more sense of that conversation as we have it. Again, Kelly School of Business Leadership Coaches, Ray Luther and Eric Johnson, episode two of this four part series on leadership development and coaching. And hey, if you are wanting to get your leadership questions answered, be sure to email us at ROIPod, that's ROIPOD at IUPUI.edu. This has been another episode of the ROI Podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week. Thank you.